Well, good evening, everybody. We've got a we've got a video to watch, but I don't think we're going to get to watch it. But we're going to get to listen to it, so that's good. So just uh, imagine Derwin Gray's up there talking about whatever he's talking about, being shaped by Scripture. So before we listen to the video, the goals of this session. Uh, the main idea of this session is immersion, immersing ourselves in Scripture leads to Christ-centered transformation, changing the way we think and behave. And the head change should be to know that true transformation comes from being shaped by Scripture rather than culture or our own capacity to change. The heart change should be to feel a longing to be filled by God's Word instead of other influences and the life change is to engage in a regular rhythm of scripture reading so that we learn and express Christ-like attitudes and actions. And before we view the session, uh, we need to consider these questions as we listen. We don't view, we're going to listen. But what is the relationship between Jesus and scripture? How do the things or people we follow shape our habits? How does scripture talk about our spiritual identity and in what ways does it differ from what our culture says? So let's l listen to this video. Do you, if anybody wants to watch it, he can play it back there. I'll get to see it, but I don't think you all will. Let's one turn around. We got a bad projector. Uh, what is wrong with this? It's hot. It got too hot. Got too hot. Got too hot. <laughs> it probably got really cold and then it got hot. I don't know. I'm not a tech. No. Anyway. Maybe we left it on. <laughs> to shaped by scripture. We're talking about holy habits and holy habits are intentional, Jesus-centered rhythms and decisions empowered by the spirit that showcase our allegiance to God, his church, which is people, not buildings or institutions, it's blood-bought people, and his mission of reconciliation. The dominant theme of scripture is there's a loving father who sends his son filled with grace and mercy through the Holy Spirit's power to rescue and redeem humanity from sin and death and evil so that we can reflect his glory and image on earth. And, and so scripture has this incredible story and we need to be shaped by scripture. This is so important. Let me tell you about a time when being shaped by scripture impacted me deeply. So this is early in ministry. This is when I would travel the country and I would speak primarily to teenagers. And when you do youth events, you can find yourself anywhere at any time. So I was invited to do a youth event. It was a retreat. We were somewhere in South Florida. The only thing that I knew is we were in the jungle. My internet didn't work. My smartphone didn't work. I couldn't talk to my wife. But before we went on that trip, um, my doctor called me and said, hey, something on your blood work came up. I'm kind of concerned about it. We need to do some more tests. Well, anyway, it could have been really, really serious. And that night, I couldn't sleep at all. 
I couldn't call my wife, who's my best friend, my confidant. All I could do was pray and hold the Bible. Because I knew the scripture said this, death, where is your sting? And when Jesus rose out of that tomb, it guaranteed that though my body may die and will die, but the resurrection means that I will be whole again in the new heaven and new earth. It means this, that his power is present. And all I could do was get in a fetal position and clutch my Bible to my chest. And I cried myself to sleep. I woke up that next morning, not knowing how much time I have to live, how many years, but there was this resolve to be about the father's business. And so that moment is what catapulted my wife and I to plant Transformation Church. Now, praise God, the blood work was great. Everything's fine. But that moment shaped me with the importance of scripture. And remember, we can be shaped by culture too. That's why God wants us to be shaped by scripture. Our second holy habit is being shaped by the Bible instead of culture. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has just gotten baptized. The Holy Spirit sends him to the wilderness. He's being tested by the devil himself. And how does Jesus say, no, I'm going to follow kingdom culture, not the culture of dark powers? Matthew 4, 4 says this, and he answered, it is written. Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So listen, the Bible is written in various genres. You have history, but at the end of the day, it's not about information. It's about transformation. The Bible points us to King Jesus. Just as Jesus told the Pharisees in John 5, 39 through 40, you pour over the scriptures daily because in the scriptures, you think they point to eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. The Bible drives us to Jesus. What does culture want to do? And specifically, there's a lot of things. But one of the things that I'm seeing as a pastor, as a disciple, as I work and mentor with people is this. Our culture is shaping us to be chronic comparers way back in the old days. You know, you would talk to people and say, hey, show me your kids. They would pull out this foreign object called a wallet and all of these plastic things would unfold and pictures of kids would be on there. Now you go well, go to my social media page. And what happens is we are constantly bombarded with what others are doing, when they're doing it, how they're doing it. And we naturally begin to compare. And when we compare our joy is stolen. We actually become a spiritual slave to comparison. Comparison steals your joy. And you know what else it does? It blinds you to the blessings that you have. When we look to the left, we look to the right, we miss the blessings that are clearly in sight. Let me tell you, the scripture lets us know we have a new identity. We are the beloved children of God. What God has for you God has for you. The tailor-made spiritual clothes he has for another person aren't going to fit you. So don't try to wear a miracle that someone else has been custom fitted for. God has a miracle just for you. And the ultimate miracle is this. 
Scripture lets us know the Word of God transforms us into the image of Christ Jesus. When we get into the Word of God, through the power of the Spirit of God, we are shaped into the image of the Son of God for the glory of God. And as the ancient church fathers would say, God glorified is man fully alive, and man fully alive is God glorified. Two sides of the same coin. Please understand this. God's greatest goal for you, his reason for redemption is to love you unto the image of Christ. Your destiny is to be conformed to the image of Christ, a heart like Christ, a mind like Christ, a life like Christ in the community of Christ. And what's our motivation? The sacred text, the Bible, scripture tells us this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. So let's pause here. Paul says, hey, family, the way we're transformed is to view the mercies of God. That means to look back, that we look back at the bloody cross. We look back at the empty tomb. We look back at his grace. We look back at God's faithfulness. We look back at God's kindness. We look back at the reality of what Jesus has done. And as we look back, we're able to live in the present to be fully alive to King Jesus was expressing himself in us and through us. Then he says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Our true worship is to dwell on, to have our thoughts dominated and occupied by the mercy of God. That's what transforms us. And verse two of Romans 12 says this, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Grace is a work from the inside out, transformation. God wants to work on the inside and it expresses itself on the outside. God's word helps you to set your mind on things above. Colossians 3, one through three says this. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Let's pause here. When Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to the right hand of his father. The father doesn't have a literal hand. That is a Hebraic understanding of equal honor. Jesus shares in the Godhead with the father and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father. The Holy Spirit has been sent to indwell his people. And we are to set our minds on things above. Verse 2 says this, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. The scene of the crime is your mind. We want to fill our mind with scripture. We want to wallpaper our minds with scripture. Here's what scripture reminds us, verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What in the world does that mean, you died? It means this, that supernaturally on the cross, when Jesus was nailed there and when he went to the tomb, we died with him. The old nature that we had from Adam that was corrupted. And when Jesus rose again from the dead, we were regenerated with the very resurrection life of Christ. So now we have the power not to sin because the power of the one who rose from the dead is inside of us. Set your minds on things above. Think about Jesus. Contemplate Jesus. And how do we learn about Jesus? Through scripture. God's word, the sacred scripture, God's love letter to us, God's word reminds us 
that Jesus will complete the work he started in you. Philippians 1.6 says this, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let me pause here. Listen, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your habit is. I don't know what your hangup is. I don't know what your struggle is, but I got some good news for you. Jesus is faithful. He's reliable. He is going to complete the good work in you. People may give up on you. Situations may look bleak, but Jesus will never give up on you. And no situation is greater than the empty tomb. No situation is greater than the cross. As a matter of fact, God will often use those situations that look bleak to draw us near unto the light. God uses the Bible to transform you through the power of the Holy Spirit as we obey the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you and you know that from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As the scripture teaches us, God himself has given us a love letter. And this letter is this divine drama of his redemption. And he invites us into this story. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with this word of God. Spend time with the Father. Let the Holy Spirit's presence draw you into this incredible story. You're not just reading letters on a page. You're literally connecting to the very heartbeat of God. Now listen, there's 24 hours in the day. Our values shape our priorities and our priorities shape our time. Value Jesus. The word of God will be a priority and we'll spend time soaking in scripture. And the way Jesus becomes our priority is to view God's mercy, to think about his goodness, to think about his kindness. May we be a people of this incredible book. May we be shaped by scripture. minutes. I don't know how you all listen to me for 30. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we get into the questions, did anything in particular stand out? Uh, I have a couple things, one for sure, but did, did anything jump out to anybody? John, glad to see you here. Your wife picked on you last week, and we all laughed, so that's right. We knew it. I knew it. I don't know what happened last week, but I'm not uncomfortable about this. <laughs> I knew it when you walked through the door. He's just here to make sure nothing goes awry. <laughs> so did anything stand out to anybody before we get into the... Uh, okay. We were talking about... Um, 
culture is making people chronic comparisons. I thought about that's what stood out to me the most. I thought about how Israel was trying to compare themselves to everybody else and their desire for a king. Mm-hmm. Now they're just being satisfied that God was their king. They, they, they had to compare themselves to, you know, we want a king too, so we can be like them. Before I forget to mention this, this these studies come off of a platform called Right Now Media, and I have a login that uh, anybody can use, and it's like it's like Netflix for Bible studies. I don't know if I've mentioned that or not, but uh, if you want that, just let me know. Rodney, what were you going to say? Uh, he uh, he mentioned. He's talking about reading your Bible and being connected and, and growing from it and being shaped by it. But, uh, and he did mention three times of something about the Holy Spirit. And I feel like, you know, without the Holy Spirit, then it's not going to happen. You know, that's got to come to life to you also. I mean, I keep going back to if it's if the Holy Spirit's not guiding us and we're not living in the Spirit, then it's a self-help book. And we can really try to push ourselves really hard to, you know, self-help books usually get thrown on the shelf pretty quick. You know, so uh, I think we need to think of it from that perspective, you know. Yeah, the Holy Spirit's what convict what allows you to feel the weight of your sin and convict you of your sin and the holy spirit is what gives you the motivation to be in the word gives you the desire to and it probably reveals a lot it helps you to see your eyes are open to what what it's saying i feel like a lot of times mm-hmm. He said to wallpaper your mind with scripture or anything. Mm-hmm. I missed that one. And I thought, I like that. I like wallpapering. Kind of something that we did a lot in my family, but mm-hmm. you know, you kind of think about what everything else in your mind that it's wallpapered with and mm-hmm. anything that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, some stuff gets wall. You're not even trying to allow it to stick, and it does, you know. Yeah, that comparison game is hard. Now, if you're comparing yourself to me, you'll be all right. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not like Rodney. <laughs> He's a <laughs> Now, when you said that, it reminded me that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They would stand on the street corners and they say thank god we're not like yeah. <laughs> no but they compared themselves right. to you know they, that's what they said they're like we're thankful that we're not like yeah you know, we're not like them yeah 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 anybody else she blinded to the real to the real meaning of the scriptures mm-hmm 
know that God works from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And we're uniquely made, so that means each person is an individual, not like anybody else. I think got a whole generation of younger kids that let social media take their joy away. You know, I mean, it's a, I hate to say it's an epidemic, but I think it is, you know, when they're just constantly comparing themselves to other people. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's just young people. I think, I mean, I feel it in my own life many times. I mean, I'm young, but I think you meant younger people. But I, I think we all probably, if we have social media at all, we probably all do that some. I think it's especially, I mean, in younger kids, I think it's especially evident with them. Yeah. Because that's what everybody does. That's their life. Yeah. It's online. Yeah. They get their acceptance from that. Yeah, their likes. Yeah. And likes. <coughs> yeah, if they don't get a certain amount of likes on something, or if they're just they're just dashed, mm-hmm. distraught. But it's a it's a world of deception because what they put out there is not actually what they're relying. Because you got you can paint the pretty filters on it and make it look like it's all nice and rosy, but it's not. All right, we'll get into the questions. Derwin started this session by sharing a, uh, what did he do? Sharing a moment of crisis in his life. I'm sure you all have noticed by now that I'm not not a very good reader. That experience prompted him to literally cling to God's word. So he had a crisis. Remember, he said he went on that mission trip. He got some blood work, and uh, he was freaking out a little bit. And he said he he was praying, and he cried himself to sleep. I think he said, and he he clinged physically to the Bible as he was playing praying. So the question is: Have you ever had a crisis in your life that made you look for comfort or peace? Where did you turn? I have something to say about that. I think God puts crises in our life to make us pay attention to say, hey, I'm up here, you know. Mm-hmm. Or if we're drifting away or if we've got a problem, you know. It makes us stand still and listen harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Or we could create our own crisis and then turn to God. Yeah. Or we could see everything as a crisis. Yeah. <laughs> Even little things. Yeah. I feel myself doing that with all these vehicle troubles I've been having lately. <laughs> like I think if the if a little oil drip is the worst thing going on in my life, I've got it pretty good. Yeah. You know? But when you don't have real problems, all of a sudden these little problems become big problems in your mind and they're really not. And when you're focused on your own stuff and not helping others, mm-hmm. that makes a difference. Dang, I thought the Holy Spirit convicted and now it's Tammy. <laughs> You're convicting me now. <laughs> I'm not helping people. Dang it. <laughs> I'm just you helped that guy down there with money. He made money off you putting that drink. <laughs> he did. Yeah, he's eating. <laughs> yeah. Here you go, Rick. <laughs> Take this. Merry Christmas. And Donald Thompson. He got plenty. <laughs> Okay, our circumstances can prompt us to seek guidance, but whether we seek it out or not, 
Our culture often tries to guide our thoughts and actions. Derwin warned us that our culture can cause us to have a skewed understanding of ourselves, especially when we compare ourselves to others. Do you ever compare yourself to others, and so what ways? I think I do. I think, especially in the preaching role, I've already gotten better about not doing this, but in the very, very beginning, I would, specifically when I went to that thing, that uh, revival or renewal in Springfield, I know the guy that preached the first night, I've heard him preach before. The second night, I was physically there and I saw the second guy preach and he had all this energy. He was like a, he was a Pentecostal fella. He had he was he was fired up like he he just was he was bringing the heat you know and it was all biblical stuff he was saying and then I thought oh I can't do that that's not me why am I even here you know why the I'm not I can't be like that guy well, I don't need to be like that guy you know it's not your scene. right so I, you look at a guy like Tim Keller who just stands at the pulpit and never moves sort of in the same fashion as me and he doesn't raise his voice and praise the Lord like he just delivers the message you know and that's okay I mean he's one of the most he's he's a very very well respected so now I compare myself to Tim Keller which also isn't healthy but but it is we do those things you know I think sometimes it's you can you can gain a bit of healthiness comparing you know I want to be I want to be more like John Scott. I want to be calm, cool, and collected when things go awry. I want to be, I want to be kind uh, because we see Jesus in people, especially. So you see the Holy Spirit producing fruit in Barb. Barb is here early in the mornings, and she's the first one here most of the time, making coffee, doing this, doing that. Man, I want to be like Barb. What would Barb do? You know, we should make new bracelets. I'm just kidding. But I think there is there there is healthy comparison, but we can let it go in a really bad direction. Mary's mother taught me that early on because when I first started coming to church here, you know, I connected with Karen and and I thought, oh, I gotta do the things that Karen does because Karen is doing this. And she sat me down one time and she said, Look, your gifts are your gifts. These are my gifts. That doesn't mean you don't join and help me, but these are not your gifts. You find what works for you. And that really, I mean, I still always go back to that when I when I find myself maybe getting involved in something that maybe I really don't feel like that's my gift. You know, she said you can help out, but that isn't necessarily what you is your strong point. Mm-hmm. And finding the gift for yourself that more that God has given you. Yeah, don't ask me to plan anything because I can't plan. Amy's the planner. You get it all planned out, and I'll come in and I and I'll, I'll help you carry out your plan. And we'll make a plan, then hand you a shovel. Here, just dig. She's our Martha. Yeah. I mean, you can sit, I could go through here and pretty much name the gift that each person has. And some of them are the same or similar, but everybody, God has given everybody a gift of something. From A to Z, there's so many gifts. I think that's why when you see a funeral on Saturday 
and you see all these people working together, we all, everybody is willing to step out of what they're good at to help, but then it all becomes one thing when everybody works together. And I think that's the beauty of this church. Mm-hmm. Probably the reason we're told to come together and worship and pray together and fellowship and encourage each other for that, to create that wholeness, you know? Because we need each other's gifts. Yeah, what's yes. the what's the what's the passage about uh, one body, many parts? Yeah, you know we all have a we all have a part to play in the body. Testing friends on we are the body. You know, it's everybody's got a part in that body to make it function. Yeah. That's right. What are some problems with comparing ourselves to others? How does comparison typically make you feel about yourself? Unworthy, useless, inadequate. Yeah. Or blessed. Yeah, it could be the opposite. Yeah. Say, yeah. yeah. Roddy's a real train wreck. I feel great. <laughs> Golly. I saw him. He, he has the nickname Fitz. He must have thrown a fit at some point. <laughs> Man, Rodney, you need to get it together. Yeah. Make you feel better already. <laughs> yeah, I've got it all figured out. I'm just kidding. Comparison can lead to idolatry, which is finding our value or meaning in something created rather than in God. What kinds of things do people in our culture idolize? How do our idols shape our behavior? Look at all the garbage on TV. I mean, just stupid stuff that people think is great. It's just hard to fathom. Yeah. Money. Possessions. Houses. Sex. I think even relationships, especially in young people, people people hold relationships like my life is not complete until I'm in a relationship, and then they get in one, and it's like this wasn't everything I ever dreamed of, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Terrible now. Yeah. <laughs> but I, what we were talking about earlier, you know, idolizing um, an individual, you know, trying to make yourself, you know, what they are, and they may not be what they are putting yourself out there to be, you know, who they truly are. Maybe somebody totally evil and ungodly, no matter how godly they're trying to make yourself self-speak. I think work is a huge one too. You think about your whole life, your whole entire life. You go to school, you know, the the American way is primarily you go to school, you go to college, more school to do the thing. What is the thing, you know, and then the thing becomes like this ultimate time consumer. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing this so that I can, I, you know, I need to level up to the next job. I can get the next thing so that we can have, and that just sort of fuels 
so many other idols. I need to get the next job so that I can have more money, so that uh, my family can go on the same vacations as Paula, so the whatever. You know, it's just work. Work for me five years ago was a gigantic idol. And uh, it probably still is in more ways than I realized, but it's definitely, it's went from a wildfire to like a controlled burn, I guess. <laughs> but, but there for a while, it ate me alive. Heather could testify on that one. Just, but then again, it was healthy for me to. It, it was. There's a bit. There was a bit of suffering in that. That trying to sift through all that, and I and I learned a lot from it. So I think sometimes that stuff's necessary. But idolizing things is not ever necessary. I think comparing. Uh, you say there's some good comparing. I think comparing's okay, but the problem is when you compare it to people. And as soon as it becomes a competition, that's where there's something else involved. It's going to be pride. It's going to be envy. That's and it can lead to other stuff too. You know, it's like one second you're idolizing so you can beat that person. The next thing you know, you're can't wait for that person to get what's coming to them. You know, or this and that, mm-hmm. and he, it just delves into deeper, darker areas. Since our culture and circumstances can give us a false view of ourselves, we need scripture to remind us of our God given identity. Instead of turning to the opinion of others, we can hear from God who loves us and encourages us to find our our identity in what he says about us. Question, why is it essential that our identity is associated with Jesus rather than something or someone else? Well, it's going to be more real. I mean, our identity related to the scripture is, is real. Where it's, if it's related to a person, that's just false. I mean, he, he is the only truth. Once temporary, once permanent. Yeah, that car's not going to get you into heaven or, you know, whatever it is you're idolizing or trying to make yourself how to be or to follow. Um, you know, that's not going to get you to heaven. Only having a relationship with Christ is going to get you that permanent entrance into heaven. Mm-hmm. I would say too, when you're looking at somebody else and comparing, comparing some other situation, a lot of times you're not getting the whole story anyway. Yeah. You're looking at might be, you know, a wish in your mind what you really think it's like, and it's not. So the question is, why is it essential that our identity is associated with Jesus rather than something or someone else? So, if work was my my biggest idol. A couple years ago, uh, let's say I often think about this, and I've turned it around now. I'm a pastor because I think, because I I idolize work a bit, and I think I I spend a lot of time thinking about work. Like, what do I need to do with the eight to ten hours a day, five days a week, which is different, different time scale here, but. Now that I'm a believer and every I'm seeking to glorify God in everything I do, well, how can I do that in a job? Well, the best way in my mind is to pastor a church. 
So if we think about the steps of life, go to school, go to college or go to trade school or whatever to, to work as a believer, our, our identity should be tied more with Jesus than our work. So we should think, what would Jesus want me to do? I've got to make money to pay bills, but how can I glorify God through my work rather than how can I glorify myself through my work? So our, the difference is if your identity is in Jesus, that's going to kind of guide what sort of work that you choose to do. Whereas if your identity is in yourself or your own power, for me, I, I, the reason I worked at the family business, one, it was the path of least resistance. It was easy for me to end up there. Two, I was going to make good money for life, I think. Um, so my identity was just tied into how successful can I This is the way I can be the most successful and care about. That was, that was really it. That was the whole fuel. But now my identity is in Christ. So how can I be the most successful for the kingdom? Uh, which I'm glad I'm in that spot. Rather well, and everybody that come, you come, comes in contact with you, they're going to pick up on something. So if somebody is like looking up to you as an example, if your focus is on work and making money or whatever it is, they're going to strive for that. But if you are a, if you're putting out there your relationship with Christ and showing who Christ is, they're more apt to want to know Christ more and want to, to follow Christ in that way. So we're that living example, um, either for, for the good or for the bad. Seems like when person or thing in your life is taken away and you go through that major identity crisis, that's when you know that your identity wasn't where it was supposed to be mm -hmm. in Christ. It was like, well. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, if you build your whole identity as a as a wife, you know, I'm a wife, and then your marriage breaks in half, you you're like my whole identity is shattered. I have nothing now. I'm useless. I am how could I let this happen? But if your identity is in Jesus and the same failure happens, it's it's still very unfortunate, but life goes on, you know. Uh yeah, just yeah, the peace that you have and if your identity is in Jesus is pretty astounding, really. Yeah, I think um, I had heard some years back that, you know, men in general tended to get their identity, feel their whatever through their job, their work, that's where they, and women, it was more like their home, their kids, their whatever, you know, if my kids are are well-behaved and successful, then I'm a good mom. I'm a, if I do this for my husband, I'm a good wife. I'm, you know, men are like, if I attain to this particular job, then that makes me successful. And I think it is. It's the danger that what you and Mary were talking about is it's then when all those things fall away, you lose your job. You know, and, and I know, you know we struggle with daughters right now who, you know, they're struggling with their self-worth because they're not, they're not finding it where they're supposed to be, you know, and they don't really like 
being told that. <laughs> but, you know, but yes, it's that. It's like, you know, I need a relationship. I'm a, you know, I don't understand why I don't feel worthy, don't feel, and yeah, I mean, it is. It's because we don't get our self-worth in, you know, our value, our identity is who we are in Christ. You know, we are worthy, we are valuable, we are loved, all that because of who we are in Christ and nothing else. And so I asked my daughter the other day when she was like, I don't feel whatever she said. And I said, what, what gives a person wealth, worth, not wealth? What gives a person worth? What gives a person value? She didn't have an answer. Well, she said, I don't know. Society would say something. And I'm like, she was raised in church. And I said, you know. You know where your worth and your value come from. Mm-hmm. I think, too, a lot of people, married folks with children, their their children become their idol. You know, you, you do all, you, you run your kids around to every different thing, doing all this, all that, and then, and then suddenly they don't live there anymore. And how many divorces do you see when the child, the children are out of the house? It seems like the, that's when everybody's like, because their whole identity was wrapped up in running little Jimmy and little Johnny to basketball games. And then when that ends, what are we to do? We hate each other now. Let's end this, you know. Uh, so our identity doesn't need to be fully in our marriage relationship and it also definitely doesn't need to be in our children. Our marriage, our, I, I, I don't know what the source of this is, but it's we should focus on God first, then spouse, then children, because we got to live together our whole life. Those kids are going to be gone. You know, but I can really see now people, the kids tend to rule the home. They tend to have more of the structure of what's really going on in the house. And, and I think, you know, I know people say, well, that was old school, you know, the kids in the other room or the kids. But I think there was some value in that where the spouses didn't come between, the kids did not become between the spouses. And mm-hmm. I think you see a lot of that now where the kids play the parents off of each other and, and mm-hmm. they become more of the focus than the parents are on each other. Yeah. And that's sort of an epidemic. You said epidemic. Is it epidemic or pandemic? What's the difference? I don't know. But you see more and more kids kids staying at home longer and longer, 25, 30 or whatever. And then, and then those kids have kids, and then the parents end up raising grandkids. You know, it's just it's just a never ending cycle. Sort of. I don't. I have no answer to how you you fix any of that other than put your identity in Jesus and not your children and your marriage. You know, think about a marriage. If both of the the husband and the wife, their identity, if they're fully focused on Christ, how beautiful of a marriage that is. I mean, I'm sure many of you all feel that, hopefully. Um, there's levels, there's forgiveness that couldn't happen otherwise. There's patience that couldn't happen otherwise. There's joy that wouldn't happen otherwise. There's focus on things that matter and forgetting about the things that doesn't matter, that don't matter, uh, that wouldn't happen otherwise. There's just so much more wholesomeness than if 
we focus on the nonsense, and most of us focus on the nonsense. I mean, I'm, not, I'm a prime example of all of this all in one because. Well, don't be hard on yourself as you explain this. <laughs> but uh, it's been. The kids were little and were at home. My relationship with Christ was stronger then than what it is now. But I had to de depend on Christ as a single mom to help me raise kids and to make sure and to, you know, bring them to church. My dependency was up on him as a mother and focusing on them. <coughs> I didn't build my relationship on, with myself to help exert and be a better, you know, a mom and for them to also see all that. So when they were gone and they were on their own, I no longer had that dependence dependency upon God to make sure everything was taken care of. So I need to reinvent myself and put that dependency upon God for myself now. And I've been struggling to do that because, you know. Or maybe you're just in a season of peace at the moment rather than a season of crisis. You know what I mean? You can like peace is not a bad thing. <laughs> Just because you're not in emergency mode doesn't mean enjoy. It. Yeah, breathe. Like I never, I never thought I like made me that side way. Like, like when Bethany was in her car accident and she was there in the hospital. You know, I wasn't a frantic mom like like losing my mind. I actually had a a sense of peace. You know, knowing that you know she was in God's hands. You know, and but I, you know. But having that peace, and sometimes I feel guilty because I wasn't a frantic parent, you know, all spaced out and everything. Um, but then I look back and I shouldn't feel guilty because, you know, God was with me, He was comforting me, He was with Bethany, and, you know. That guilt comes from comparing <clears throat> mothers comparing to other mothers. Problem. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, maybe just shift your perspective a bit and think, God, I don't feel like I have to rely on you as much because I'm not in emergency mode. But now I'm in this season of peace and gratitude that I'm not in that season anymore. And I'm glad I'm not, probably. <laughs> yeah. But you still want to keep your relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Right. yeah. And it's probably not as... I guess because I um, am comparing it to what it was to what it is now. Um, I mean, I still depend upon it, um, but it's not as, I guess it's not that comparison. It's a different type of relationship that I need to learn to have an individual one with just he and I and I, he and I and three kids. I think we have a tendency to idolize emotions also. Like if something doesn't make us feel one way, then it's not right. Like, oh, this person's not making me, this, I'm not getting this feeling, so I'm out. You know, or um, this situation's not making me feel this way. And we, emotions are just dangerous, dangerous, I think. I mean, I think everybody agrees with that, but. I don't, I don't have anything else to say about that. Does anybody have any additions to that one? No, I, I had something I wanted to say, and it's it's not too much um, um, idolizing or prioritizing my time uh, in the wrong area. I'm, I'm not gonna say this well, I'll explain it very well, but um, 
in your mid-60s, you're going to start questioning, you know, if you're a servant of the Lord, you believe in him and love him and want to follow where he wants you to be, you know, I get aggravated sometimes that I'm not, I'm, you know, if I have a suit that God gave me and, and what I, it's being a caregiver. I know that that's, if I have a gift, that's what he gave me. And I've always believed that I should do uh, whatever God puts in front of me to do at that, at that time. And I feel like the last 35 years, all I've done is take care of one family member after another. Um, and I'm not getting to spend the time at church and Sunday school that I want and need now in my life so much. But if, as long as I feel like if my relationship's right with God and I feel like I'm serving it where what he puts in front of me, I don't need to question what I'm doing or where I need to be. I know if, if I put my trust in him, I know that where I'm at and what I'm doing is what he needs me to do. And in the not too distant future, my time will open up more. You know, the, the best hour of my whole week used to be going to Dave Wood's Sunday school class. You know, I miss that stuff so much, you know, and that time will come again for me. But when you get in your 60s, you start questioning, am I really prioritizing my time the way God wants me to? And as long as I trust that that's what he wants me to do, then it's okay. I don't need to question it. You know, I know I'm trying to serve him the best way, and I have to follow what he puts in front of me at that moment. But that's not I have to be the priority now. He does right. now, right. true. Um, but it just, sometimes I get angry because I've taken care of great-grandmas, grandmas, brothers, uh, over the last 30 years, and it's so time-consuming sometimes, and I don't feel like I've got enough time for me with God physically. You know, in church. Now, I'm, I'm right with him. I read the Bible. I know I'm doing the right things. But, you know, it's not so much feeling worthy or comparing myself to what everybody else is able to do or can do. Family takes up a lot of time. That's just the way it is for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe that. Anyway, I felt like I had to say that. Well, that verse in James 127, I can't quote verbatim, but it's, I read it the other day, was, uh, the true religion is caring for orphans and widows, you know, and sick family members falls in that. I mean, you know what I mean? Yes, yeah, sick up. You're pleasing the Lord. I'm through. trying to. Yeah. My heart's right, so I guess that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. Now James 1, 27. We're running out of time. Well, let me see. Let me get to a good question. While we have responsibility to foster our spiritual growth, Philippians 1.16 tells us that no matter where we are in our relationship with God, He will complete the work He has started with in us. Becoming holy is ultimately God's work in us. While our culture tells us we are solely responsible for changing ourselves, we can rely on God's loving hand to guide us through certain change. So this will be our last question. How do you view your role in your own spiritual growth? How can God's promise to make us holy give you peace and hope? I think a lot of this stuff, like what you're saying and what you're saying about I'm not, and we really need to think about these things. I'm not good enough or I'm not doing it right or I'm uh, I'm not doing it. Uh, you know, you get what I'm saying. These can be spiritual attacks from Satan. We're trying to draw close to the Lord. Satan trying to take us away from that. John 10.10 10 says, I've come, the, the thief 
comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So we're trying to draw close to God. Satan's trying to distract us with our emotions. I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm not here enough. I don't, you know, these, these things. If we believe in God, we also believe that there's an enemy. And he does things in our life like make us feel inadequate or make us feel whatever. So keep that in mind. We hate him, so kick him out and move forward. Now, what was that question again? I don't know. <laughs> How do you view your role in your own spiritual growth? How can God's promise to make us holy give you peace and hope? I think the second part's the easy one. How can God's promise to make us holy give you peace and hope? He's making us holy. We're not perfect and we're never going to be perfect, but we're always, it's an upward shift. So we've got times, there's ups and downs, but it's always, always should be trending up. You know, as our life, the longer we live, the, the holier we should become. Well, I think that also reflects. Say again. That's God's promise. Yeah. I think that. It also mentioned like what role do we play and I think you know it's like it was really good what Rodney mentioned you know the Bible's not a self-help book you know we don't read it and then I think sometimes we do that like we strive ourselves like I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore I'm not going to you know I'm not going to and I'm not saying that's not going to it's obviously good to have things like I don't don't want to swear anymore or I don't want to you know have these thoughts or do this or lie or whatever um <clears throat> But I think sometimes we do try to do those things ourselves. And when what we need to do is, like Rhonda was saying, is pray and, and fill ourselves as much as we can with, with the word, with Christian music, with, with the good things. Wallpaper in mind, you know, the Bible's always in the mind. And, and you know the more you have those things and then you have to be willing because we're not really very capable of changing ourselves we have to be willing and ask God to you know give us the strength in the Holy Spirit to just say I'm willing God change me mm-hmm. you know put a watch before my mouth do that you know <clears throat> but we can't do that and then just fill our minds with garbage and expect that to work. I think yeah. that's one of the points of when you're, this is like being shaped by scripture. And so, you know, I think it is, it's, it's yes, Lord, you change me, please. But it's our responsibility to put the right stuff in there. I hear our alarm clock ringing. And I think we have a meeting after this, so we better... He, uh, he mentioned the holy habits. And I think, you know, the Spirit leading us and the, the being in the Word, being in prayer, those are holy habits. And if you're, if you're filling your mind and your thoughts and your days with that, then it's, you're going to be shaped by the Scripture and it's going to push, push other things out, you know. I'll close this in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word, and we are grateful that you promise to make us holy if we follow you. And we know that there's going to be bad times, uh, and we know that we're going to have spiritual attacks, but please guard us from those. And I pray that this Saturday at the funeral of Miss Mary Sue is a time where lost people come to know you by hearing the gospel and uh, seeing the work that you did in Mary Sue's life. And uh, we're grateful for the celebration of John Scott this past weekend. Um, just a very humbling time to see to see Christians die, and to know that that we're all gonna we're all gonna pass from this earth. But if we actually believe that we get to be with you forever and um, get to feel that get to see you and 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 hopefully ask you questions on why we are so very wretched um i just pray that i pray that we all keep it together this weekend and uh that we all are able to minister to to new faces in here uh, as we celebrate the life of mary sue and i pray these things in jesus name amen, amen.